Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Well, if you have a Bible tonight, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're, we're following still the life of David. Um, so 1 Samuel 18, you can also follow along in the events portion of the YouVersion Bible app. All the notes are there as well. Um, so 1 Samuel 18, and we're learning really what made King David a great warrior, a worship leader, a man after God's own heart, and the lineage for Jesus. And this character, David, um, we mention him a lot, but many of us, um, unless we grew up in Sunday school, um, we don't know much about David. And even if we grew up in Sunday school, we kind of really only get the highlights. And so our goal is to really unpack who is this character, David, what makes him special and unique as a person that God used in such a magnificent way. Um, And really, as a king, as a worship leader, all of these things, he sort of is the benchmark. He is the the goal. Every king from David on will be compared to king uh, or to David. Whether they were a good king, they would say they were like David. If they were a bad king, they would say they were not like David. Um, He was the ultimate songwriter. Most of the psalms in the book of Psalms were written by him. And then most importantly, he was given sort of the characteristic, a person after God's heart. And I think that is something we all want to be. We want to be somebody that is after God's heart and like God's heart. 1 Samuel 18 verse 9, or excuse me, verse 1 It says this, as soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We'll talk about more Jonathan in a moment. But, and Saul took him, David, that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand and to me they have ascribed thousands and what more can he have but the kingdom and Saul eyed David from that day on the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day and Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David evaded him notice this twice (laughs) Now it kind of pauses and the story goes on and we're told that Saul is a little bipolar, a little, you can't really know what he's thinking. And so as he sort of swings to the uh, the other end of the spectrum, he offers his daughter to David to be married to him. So Saul becomes his father-in-law. And then uh, we're told twice he tried to kill him. And then we're going to see as the story continues that Saul sort of made it his primary goal to kill 
David. But in this story we read, this is my message title, about friends, foes, and father-in-laws. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Friends, foes, and father-in-laws. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you want to speak to us to it, and Lord, uh, or through it. And God, we ask that you would give us attention to you tonight. And Lord, as we talk about, I think something that's really practical for all of us, God, would you help us to see things as you see them? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So friends, foes, and father-in-laws. This really has nothing to do with the message, but I'm going to tell you a story about my father-in-law. Because he's a lot better than Saul as a father-in-law. So my father-in-law is, he's awesome. He is a, he was a professional surfer. He was um, the USA surf team head coach. Um, He is a pipe master, which if you know anything about surfing, is the most prestigious surfing event you can win. He is a master's world champion, which is basically once you like are out of the Young man's game, you get into a little bit of the older guy's game, but he won the world champ as an older guy. Um, anyways, he, he is uh, an amazing person. He's now a pastor. He is super uh, driven. He is super competitive. And he is also very interesting. Um, and uh, I, I would think not quite as bipolar as uh, Saul, but he has his moments. There was one uh, situation where, now, I was, I was getting to know Hannah and the family, and Joey was, uh, I'm just learning about him, you know, like, and also growing up as, a, as wanting to surf professionally and being a Christian, I remember watching movies growing up with Pipe Master Joey Baran in it. So, like, I have a photo of me and Hannah's dad, my now father-in-law, but at the time just Joey Baran, California kid, Pipe Master, um, of me, like, 10 years old, standing with Joey. It's pretty funny. I've, like, got, like, ble- and I'm, like, like an awkward 10-year-old, like, so stoked meeting a hero. Um, so, anyways, just still getting to know uh, him and the family. And one time I was visiting California. Shane and I had actually gone out there, and we had led worship at Joey's church. And uh, were, were we just dating at the time? Okay, so we're just dating at the time. Nothing super serious. I think we were just a few months into the relationship. I went and visited Hannah. And uh, we were leaving. And Joey, Hannah's dad, dropped us off at the airport. And again, I'm just getting to know him. In my mind, like he's my hero, pipe master, and also the father of the girl I'm interested in. And uh, so we get dropped off at the airport. And Shane left his uh, instrument. It was a mandolin, right? He left his mandolin. Uh, do you guys know what that is? That's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> but uh, he left it in, uh, I think, at the house, honestly. So anyways, um, I called Joey, and I'm like, hey, we forgot the instrument. And he's like, I'll bring it right back. And so he brings it back, and uh, uh, I run out and meet him, like, sort of, it's like the drive-by at the air. This story is so funny. It makes me laugh. Um, but uh, I go outside to meet him, and he drives by, and he sticks the mandolin out of the window. And I grab it, and then he yells from the window, bye, I love you. And I was like, thanks. Like, I was so thrown off. (laughs) Hannah and I hadn't even said that to each other yet. Like, we were, like, very early on in the relationship. And he's like, bye, I love you. And I walked inside with the mandolin, and I'm like, Joey just told me he loved me. (laughs) 
It was so random and so funny. But um, that, that's kind of like his personality. It's just kind of all over the place. You don't know what to expect. This story is equally as confusing and complicated in relationships. Like, you're just like, what is going on? What is happening? And sometimes relationships are like that. You're like, what is going on? What's happening? And this story reveals to us the dysfunction and the dynamics and the difficulty that David faced as God was preparing him for what he had for him. And yet we see in the midst of it, David, David was able to grow in his relationship with God and find contentment in what God was doing. Now throughout David's life, and we're going to sort of pick him up along the way, we see little keys that made him successful. And, and I hope that each week we can sort of pull out a key that helps us understand who this character is. In the first week, we really learned that David was able to be alone with God. This is a key for your life, to be able to be alone with God. You don't need all the flash, all the crowd, all of the, the, the focus, just you and God. And David learned to be alone with God. Last week, we learned that David had great faith even over impossible situations. That's an important key that you learn, that you are able to trust in God even when things seem impossible, even when the stacks are, or the odds are stacked against you, that we can trust God and have faith in God. That's a key. And in this week, we learn the importance of the people around you. This is a key as you walk with God, the importance of the people around you. You could write this down, point number one, friends make or break your future. The friends you have around you make or break your future. This is a key bit of information that we see in the story. This friendship between David and Jonathan. Now Jonathan, a little bit about him. He is the son of the king. Okay, so Jonathan, when, we're mentioned, when he's mentioned here, we don't get that detail. We get more of that in the previous chapter. But Jonathan is the oldest son of King Saul. Okay, so this is important. The, the, the family dynamic is interesting. This is David's now brother-in-law. This is the son of the king of Israel. This is a, uh, a, he is, not only is the son of the king, but he's next in line for the kingdom. So if everything went sort of according to plan, if you will, or if everything went normally, Jonathan would be the next king, not David. Right, so Saul's the king at the time. His eldest son is Jonathan, and Jonathan should be the next in line for the kingdom. He's a great warrior. We see, we read of him conquering the Philistines and leading people into battle. He's also a man of great faith. There's one interesting story with Jonathan where they're camped out. They're going against the Philistines. And a him and his armor bearer are, they're, they're laying in their tent. And they're sort of contemplating. They're, they recognize they're going to go against, go into battle against the Philistines. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, Do you think God can deliver the Philistines by just a couple people the same as he could with a whole army? In other words, do you think God needs the whole army to have victory? And the armor bearer says, well, I suppose he doesn't. I suppose if God is the one fighting the battle, it doesn't matter if there's one people, one person or a hundred people or a thousand people. And Jonathan says, like, do you want to go find out? How about you and I right now go attack the Philistines and see if God can deliver them into our hands with just the two of us? And the armor bearer is like, okay, I'm down. 
He's like, all right, bet. And they get up and they leave their tent in the middle of the night and they go out and the two of them defeat the Philistines because they were people of great faith. This is Jonathan. He's a, he's a man of God. He's a man of war. He is, he's committed to God. And then we learn in this story that he's committed to David, that they become good friends. Now, David, on the other hand, his story is almost the complete opposite of Jonathan. David is the son of a farmer, not the son of a king. David was last in line to meet the prophet, not first in line to become king. David's a shepherd. And his great sort of acts of war before Goliath is that he killed a bear and a lion. Which is pretty impressive, but not the same of defeating the entire Philistine army with just your buddy. Right? So David is a a shepherd. But David's also a man of great faith. And all of their differences whether it's the the last in line to meet the prophet or the first in line to be king, or whether it's a warrior or a shepherd, all of their differences were removed because of one thing they had in common. They were both people of great faith. All of their differences could be set aside because they had one binding thing that brought their friendship together. These two became friends because their friendship was centered around their love for God and their desire to live pleasing to him. God was at the center of that friendship and pleasing him was their motivation. Because listen, it isn't just about having good friends. It's about having friends that help you to be good and godly. It's not just about having good friends. That's not the point of this story. The point of the story is not that David and Jonathan just hit it off and they had all these things in common and they just made each other laugh and they could hang out. That's not the point at all. In fact, everything could, should cause them to not be, they, they should be rivals, not friends. And yet, because of their faith in God, because of their sort of perspective and their goal, they were able to be friends because they were helping each other be good and godly. We put too much emphasis on just hanging out or laughing or shared interests. And we don't give enough attention on how our relationships are forming us. Your friendships are forming you. They're forming your uh, view about yourself. Your friendships are forming your view about other people. Your friendships are forming your view about God. Your friendships are forming your trajectory in your life. And your friendships can make or break your future. And yet because of their love for God, even though they had really no reason to be friends, because of their love for God and their desire to live pleasing to him, they're able to not just be friends but help one another accomplish the call that God had on their lives. Because of their friendship that was centered around God, it allowed them to accomplish all that God had for them And they would be able to overcome all the things that they would face. Because you can write this down. Godly friends allow you to walk in your individual calling. Godly friends will help you walk in your individual calling. David and Jonathan's paths are going to take incredibly different journeys. Yet God has a calling for each of them. David's future was to be the king. Right? That's his future. He was anointed, he's equipped, but it would be nearly 20 years before David would sit on the throne. Let's think about that for a moment. So David's 15 years old, he's out taking care of the sheep, 
This crazy prophet comes into town. His dad doesn't invite him to the dinner party. Then all of a sudden, last on the list, he shows up. The prophet looks at him and he says, hey, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. What would that do to your, like, I don't need school anymore. Like, forget the sheep. I'm out of here. And yet for 20 years, David would wait. We'll learn that more in a couple weeks about the key of patience. But he would wait. And in that time, in that time of waiting, Jonathan helped him prepare and wait for that calling by encouraging him, by praying for him, by working with him, and even protecting him. Now, Jonathan's future was not to be king. Naturally, Jonathan should be the next king of Israel. He's the oldest son of the current king, yet it's not going to happen. Jonathan had every right to hate David, right? Think about that. He's, okay, I, your whole life, you're the son of the king. You're a prince. You grow up that way. And you're like, all right, it's going to be me. Once dad's gone, I'm up. And then somebody comes in and it's like, sorry, bud, you're not going to do it. In fact, this guy's going to do it. What, what would you think? I imagine like, um, it's almost like you're, you're playing on the sports team. You're going to get the start next year. Like it's all you. And then some guy transfers in and you're still on the bench. <laughs> How do you treat that person? That person's your rival. That person is, they have your position they have your job. They have what you've been working for, what you've been training for, what you've been thinking about. This is your whole life. This guy transfers in, and what do you do? Well, David and Jonathan become best friends, and they recognize that although their paths are different, there's a calling that God has on each of them, and them together will help them embrace and fulfill the God-given calling on each of their lives individually. They don't look at each other as rivals. They say, how can we come together to help us accomplish what God has for us? And even though they were set on different paths, they helped each other walk in that calling. This is the role of good friends. They encourage, they challenge, they pray for, and they protect one another and the call that God has placed on their lives. So the question we have to consider is, how are your friends helping you walk in the call that God has placed on your life? How are your friends helping you? How are they helping your focus on God? How are they help us, helping your time in prayer? How are they helping you be bold with your classmates that don't know God? And then the second question, how are you helping them? How are you helping the people, how are you helping stir up the calling that God has placed on your friend's life? Are you letting them settle? Are you letting them be distracted? Are you letting them live aimlessly? Or are you helping them embrace the call? The second thing we see about good friends is that godly friends allow you to walk through opposition. Jonathan had to live with the fact that he will never be the king. And it wasn't his fault that he wouldn't be king. He is dealing with a deep level of rejection. I don't know if you've ever been rejected for something, but it hurts. It makes you doubt. It makes you feel small. It makes you wonder what you could have done better. This is difficult emotional opposition that he's facing. And the relationship that we see between Jonathan and David is David doesn't really, not at all, rub it in Jonathan's face. They, they really don't talk about it much. 
at least the interactions that we see. We don't see them talking about how David's going to be king and Jonathan's not and boo-hoo or anything like that. We just see them be friends and help each other walk through it. And sometimes we face deep levels of emotional opposition where something within us or somebody's telling us something or we're experiencing some feeling or situation that causes us to doubt or feel pain or feel discouragement. And so how, how do your friends help you? Or how do you help your friends when they're walking through that? Whether it's emotional opposition, but then David deals with persecution. His father-in-law is literally chucking spears at him and trying to kill him. David, so like to put it in perspective, David got hired by Saul to, because he was a musician to play music in the palace. So he's sitting there playing his music in the palace. Maybe he's writing some of the psalms that, that would ultimately get written down. And he's playing. And initially, it helped Saul. Initially, it helped like, sort of relieve his stress. Like he's playing the harp like he just walked into a spa. It's like everything's peaceful. David's playing there. And then something triggers him. Something frustrates him. Now, what frustrates him is the fact that the king is getting less airtime than the the army leader, that the, the women in the nation are singing these songs about Saul, which is nice. Like, yay, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And that eats him up. And pretty soon what brought him peace now is frustrating him, and so he tries to kill David. And David, I, I love that it says he evaded him twice, because that means he did it once, and then he went back to work. Like, if, a, if your boss chucked a spear at you, you'd be like, I'm out. Right, I quit. <laughs> Only once for me. I'm not showing up again, like, clocking in the next 9 a.m. All right, here I am. See what happens. No, he comes back because he's committed. David's dealing with persecution. Eventually, uh, David will be driven out of the palace, and for about 10 years, he will live his life on the run, living in caves and hiding from Saul as he hunts him down. Yet throughout that, listen to me, throughout what they're facing, they remain, they, they remain friends and they help each other. Their friendship remains so tight that eventually Saul throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan, because of how they were helping each other. We all face difficulty and challenges in our life. And having people in our life that are focused on following Jesus, that can help you grow, will help you to walk through the challenges we face. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother, it, it takes it a step further. Jonathan and David probably, I mean, they would consider themselves brothers. And they were born for adversity. They'd be able to face whatever they have to face. And sometimes, listen to me, this is important. Sometimes the challenge in our life is that we don't have any godly friends. When this is true, we need to go back to the first key and we need to learn how to be alone and content with God. Because opposition is going to come and sometimes you don't have that good godly friend. Sometimes the people around you are not encouraging you or praying for you or protecting you or helping you. Sometimes you're alone and you got to learn to be content with God because he fights your battles. He's for you. He's a friend that sticks closer than the brother. He's the one that we got to rely on. 
But a godly friend will help you walk through opposition. All right, the last thing is this. Godly friends allow you to grow in faith and in faithfulness. Godly friends allow you to grow in faith and in faithfulness. Throughout Jonathan and David's life, they continually grow in their faith in God, believing him for bigger and bigger things. And in their faithfulness to God, they they don't waver towards other things. In fact, throughout the life of Jonathan, you never read of a single mistake or bad thing that he does. Jonathan was a person of faith and faithfulness throughout his whole life. Really, he's an example to us of being consistent and being faithful. That's Jonathan's example. It's almost uh, alarming that Jonathan doesn't get the spot of king because of how committed to God and how faithful he is throughout his whole life. I'm telling you, you don't read a single story about, about Jonathan messing up. The worst thing that he does is there's a story, it's so weird. They're, they're going, they're hunting David, they're facing the Philistines, they're like doing their thing. And Saul like is, gets super upset and he's like, none of the soldiers can eat until we defeat the enemy. Jonathan doesn't hear the, the story and he's walking through and he sees a honeycomb and he bends down, he, he takes his staff and he dips it in the edge of the honeycomb and then he begins to lick and eat the honey as they walk. And the people are like, hey, didn't you hear the command from the king? And he was like, what a stupid command. And he literally says, like, look at how much energy I got from the honey. Like all these people, they're like slacking off. They look like they've already been defeated. If they just ate something, that we would have more success. Like literally the worst thing that Jonathan does is disobey his dad with a stupid rule. Uh, Other than that, Jonathan is faithful. He, he He never really messes up. David, on the other hand, has a lot of mistakes. David, we're going to read in a few weeks, like, he makes some horrible mistakes. If you don't know the story, we'll get to it. Just come back. We'll see it. Perhaps it's just because David gets more screen time than Jonathan, but, but David makes a lot of mistakes. But David is an example to us about falling and getting back up. Because listen to me, faithfulness doesn't mean perfection. Faithfulness doesn't mean perfection. Being faithful to God doesn't mean you live your life perfect. Sometimes we think that people that just look from the outset, they never mess up, they're always doing what's right, they never get in trouble, they're always at church, they're always reading their Bible, they're always posting Bible verses, they're always telling people about God, they're always praying for them. Like sometimes we think that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is the ability to fall flat on your face, get back up and keep trusting in God. Faithfulness is not to be perfect, Faithfulness is to just keep showing up and letting God work in your life. Failure is when we give up. Failure is when we stop. Failure is when we sin and we say, that's who I am. That's my identity. I'm never going to get past this. Faithfulness is when we say, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm called to be. It was a mistake. It was a failure. But I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep moving forward. And it's important that we recognize that faithfulness is not perfection, but both lives are an example for us. 
Can I encourage you? There's some of you here tonight that are that you're more like a Jonathan. You, you, you really don't, you don't mess up a whole lot. You're committed to God. Maybe you never had like a radical testimony of where you wandered and did bad things. And you just have been faithful. Can I encourage you? Remain faithful. We need consistent Christians in our world. We need people that their testimony is that I just kept walking with God. That my testimony isn't I did this and I was addicted to that. I failed there. No, I just kept showing up. I just kept praying. I kept witnessing to my friends. Keep doing your thing, okay? Some of you are more like a David. (laughs) Your story is up and down. It's a roller coaster. If we watched your life, we'd be like, oh, my gosh. And they'd be like, yes. And they'd be like, oh, no. And they'd be like, hooray. And they'd be like, please stop. And then we'd be like, yes, they're back. Can I tell you, keep getting back up. (laughs) Don't stay down. If that's your story your whole life, keep getting back up. (laughs) We need to stay faithful, whatever that looks like. And these two, and I think in their extreme differences, were able to help each other remain faithful. Both of these guys were able to do all that God had for them because their commitment to God and the way that they challenged one another. Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens the character of their friend. In other words, we become like who we hang out with for good or for bad. And having the right people around you allows you to grow and walk in the things that God has for you. And having too many of the wrong people in your life can do the opposite. Worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to close. Now, let me just say as we talk about good friends and bad friends or however you want to frame it, this is not a message to tell you to cancel people or cut toxic energy out of your life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like, okay, it's time to cancel all those people that whatever. This is really to cause you to make an assessment of who's closest to you and how they're forming you. You need people that you influence and you need people that influence you. Because it isn't just about having good friends. It's about having friends that help you to be good and godly. So really this message is, is, it's, it's to take inventory It's not really to take action, necessarily. It's just to take inventory. Who are the people around me? What's their influence and level of influence on my life? How are they forming me? How are they shaping me? How am I forming them? How am I shaping them? Taking that inventory and then acting. But let me also say this. The main source of strength is not in your friends but it's in your relationship with Jesus. Good and godly friends will help you walk in your calling. Good and and godly friends will help you walk through opposition. Good and godly friends will help you stay faithful. But listen, it's all about your relationship with Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. He's the ultimate friend that laid down his life for us. He is the one that will shape, guide, protect, and be with us no matter what. Our source of strength is not in our friends. Our source and our strength is in our relationship with Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is you don't need anybody else. (laughs) If you've got him, you've got all you need. 
So how are you doing with Jesus? How's your relationship with him? How's your time with him? How's your prayer life? are, Are you listening to him? Are you engaging? Are you aware of what he's doing in your life? And then if that's your focus, if you're saying, okay, I'm following after Jesus, how do the people around you help you walk in that? And how do, the people around, how do you help the people around you walk in that? I want to encourage you tonight to take inventory, who's around you, and then secondly, how's your relationship with Jesus?